0: Good morning. It's good to see you today. How is everybody? Good. We're going to be in Jonah chapter one this morning, Jonah. So we have two uh, book studies that we're going to do this summer. The first one will be Jonah. The second one will be uh, Galatians to take us through the summer. And so uh, if you want to just be reading ahead, Jonah and Galatians is your, uh, your reading for this, uh, for this summer. And while you're sort of turning there, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you if you need one or under your seat if you're on the front row. Um, There are a couple of things that we need to pray about. And I just want uh, us to enter into a time of prayer uh, just for a few minutes this morning before uh, before we jump into the message. So first of all, this is the weekend we call Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we celebrate on Monday, really, we remember Memorial Day as an observance, but I'll never forget the first time I went to Washington, D.C. with my father, who's a Vietnam veteran, and we went to the, 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 the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and I watched his emotion as he found names on the wall of friends. And it was the first time that it really struck me how sacrificial that is. And since then, I've been able to know and minister to and become friends with many what, what we call gold star families that have lost people uh, to war. And so I want to pray over them uh, today. I, wanna, I want that to be part of our prayer. The second part is Uvalde. Uh, because we have a school here, uh, we think about those things a lot behind the scenes. And to see that play out is horrific. And um, there are devastated people in Uvalde, a small town in our state today. And we just need to pray for them, pray for their comfort, for their peace, um, all of that. So I want to pray over that, right? So we got Memorial Day, we got Uvalde. The third thing, normally I don't bring up the Southern Baptist Convention from this platform because I like to talk about Jesus and the Bible and not the Southern Baptist Convention so much, but it would be Impossible to not this week uh, bring up this issue that we need to pray about. So last year at this time, the messengers to the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the grassroots pastors like me or people like you that go and attend, uh, they demanded an independent investigation uh, related to sexual abuse allegations in the Southern Baptist Convention at high levels, uh, allegations of cover up and stonewalling and those kinds of things. And so that independent investigation was conducted over a year by an unbiased third party investigative service. And this, I guess it's been a little bit, maybe it's been a week, maybe a little bit more than a week, but, uh, almost a 400 page report, uh, was uh, disseminated this week from that investigation. A list of names that were hundreds of of names were disseminated, um, and the, the the reality is there is a problem, a big problem, uh, and uh, things have not been handled well at high levels in the Southern Baptist Convention. We are one of forty seven thousand churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I want us to pray over that network of churches. One, that truth would prevail. Two, that house would be cleaned if house needs to be cleaned. And then three, that systemic change would be made so that these kinds of things don't happen. When someone makes an allegation, it should be investigated and taken seriously. Here at Bay Area Church, we don't condone that. we, We take everything seriously. Anything like that is taken very seriously. Um, And so we are praying and we are sending a small group to Anaheim, which is where the annual meeting will be this this year, to lean into that and to continue to say, hey, we want uh, justice for survivors and we want systemic change. Um, So I want to pray over that. So those are three pretty big things. And uh, I'll just ask us to enter into a season of prayer, to be silent prayer, so you can just pray. And then I'll close us in prayer in just a minute. So would would you pray? Father, we come to you uh, a bit heavy-hearted. First of all, thanking you uh, for the freedom that we have to gather today, unfettered, to worship you. We're thankful to live in a country that protects that freedom. Father, we're thankful for all the men and women who have given their lives in protection of that freedom. Father, I pray for every family that has lost uh, a loved one to, to war. God, I pray your comfort over them. I pray that you would draw them near to you and, and they would sense your presence palatably. God, that they would uh, know you and walk with you And the deep uh, suffering, um, that the grief, God, that you would you would be there in the midst of that with people today and God is a church as we remember all of those lives through the years given God, we just um, pray over those families and, and ask your, your provision and your comfort. We do also pray for parents and husbands and wives and teachers and classmates and law enforcement. And so many people that walk through such an, uh, horrific tragedy this week in Uvalde, or it's uh, demonic at least. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would take whatever is um, at the root of, spiritually, at the root of all of these mass shootings in our country that seem to be unique in schools in our, our country, God, I pray that you would just push back the darkness father that you would usher in your light that people would know you they would walk with you i pray for those parents that have lost in extreme ways this week god i i pray your your comfort in their lives i pray that they as they grieve that they would not be hopeless god i pray that you would be near them and that the people that I know that are on the ground ministering to them right now. God, I pray that you give them the right things to say and do to help people know Jesus even in the midst. Father, we do pray over our network of churches. God, for every person who's ever been a victim of sexual abuse and had survived that. God, I pray healing. I pray Justice. Father, sin is horrific, but when it's done in the context of, of church and under the the umbrella of God things, it's, it's worse. And so, Father, we pray, uh, we repent and we ask, God, that you would just root out that toxicity, that you would bring healing to people that have been hurt that truth would prevail, and that you would cause the changes you need to cause for your glory and for the good of people now father as we um, as we dive into your word, I pray that you would speak to us, do you give us ears to hear you, eyes to see the things that you have in store for us. We love you so much. We bring all this to you because you're the only one that can handle all of it. And so we lay it at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Jonah chapter 1. We do have a screen out, but Jesus is still raised from the dead. He is at the right hand of the Father and coming back again. So if you're used to looking over there, you can either look here or there. And uh, we'll be good. So Jonah chapter, Jonah chapter one, would you stand with me? We're actually going to read verses one to three of Jonah chapter one, but I'll, I'll be really talking about all of the first chapter. It says this, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You may be seated. You try to say Tarshish three times in a row. It's hard. It's un-American. It's not in there, you know. So... So we have this epic story of Jonah, and it's one of those things, like, you, 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 I guess when when my kids were infants, uh, I don't know, it's probably, like, highly technological now, but when my kids were infants, we had, like, mobiles over their cribs with, like, little paper things that went around and around, or we painted murals on their walls, and two of them that you would see in Christian people's house all the time, one was... Uh Noah Noah and the Ark, right? I mean the worst day on the planet. And we put it in our kids' room. The other is Jonah and the whale. Right? I've never been able to figure that out, understanding these two stories in their uh historical context. Um but we'll we'll take Jonah and the whale today. All right. So this is actually not a story about Jonah, and it's not a story about the whale. In fact, we don't even know if it was a whale. What it is a story about is the great mercy of God. This is the theme of the book of Jonah, the great mercy of God. And what I'd like to do today is talk about the mystery of God's God's mercy in the in the midst of this. So this book, in my view, is historical. And so some people want to say that this is just a... Uh, a fable a narrative but but in my view it's historical it's prophetic it's practical it shows the mystery of god's mercy and the bent of the human heart to want to apply god's mercies in the ways we want to apply god's mercies but not always in the way god wants to apply god's mercy now, it's historical, I, I believe, for two reasons. Second Kings chapter 14, verse 25 speaks of Jonah. It says, he restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath. Heifer. That was, uh, he, Jonah prophesied from 786 to 746 BC. We have historical ev- evidence of that in this text. The same Jonah, because we get the son of Amittai, the prophet, we know where he's from. I think it's historical. The other reason is in Matthew chapter 12, 39 to 41, Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. My take is Jesus thought it was historical, so I'm going to go with the commentator Jesus on this particular, uh, this particular issue. Jonah is a historical and prophetic book, and it's pra- practical to our day. There are two scenes in the book of Jonah, so you really need to read them. It's 48 verses, four chapters. You really need to read it all at one time to get an understanding of the, the book. There are two real scenes. One is God calls Jonah to a task, and he runs. That's scene one. The second is God calls Jonah again to the same task, and he obeys begrudgingly. That's scene two. Uh, Let me just tell you the story, if you didn't know the story. So Jonah, prophet of Israel, was asked by God, called by God, to go to the city of Nineveh and prophesy toward their repentance because they were an evil city. Jonah did not want to do that instead of going well, instead of going east to Nineveh, he went t- down to what is modern-day Jaffa, the port Jaffa, and he got on a boat and paid a fare to go to Tarshish, which was the other direction. While he's on the sea, a storm comes up. These pagan sailors are like, what is happening? Jonah's like, I'm happening. This is my fault. If you throw me over, it'll stop. They throw him over. It stops. He gets swallowed by great fish. He's in the fish, according to the text. Uh, He's in the belly of that fish, and then he spit up on the beach, and then God calls him to the exact same thing again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, because they're evil in my sight, and preach to them. And Jonah's like, okay, after he's been, you know, he's repented in the belly of the well and all that, or fish and all that stuff, but, but now he goes begrudgingly. He's begrudgingly for a reason, begrudging for a reason, we'll get to that. He goes to Nineveh, he preaches, they, do, they repent, which is why Jesus is saying they're going to raise up in the, the judgment in this Matthew 24 passage. And so uh, this is this is the basic story. What I want to get into today is jo- Jonah chapter one, just the beginning of it, and make about three observations. So the first observation in Jonah chapter one, one to two, is that God gave Jonah a really unique prophetic assignment. It's a really unique one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, "Arise." Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. So as far as we know, this is the first time that a Hebrew prophet is sent to another nation to preach repentance. There's some oracles in the scripture, some things that they said to other nations. But This is the first time that we hear, take your feet and go uh, to this foreign nation for a, a Hebrew prophet and preach against it. Um, It's unprecedented. It's unheard of to be sent to such a people as the Ninevites. In fact, Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And let me just explain a little bit about that so you can understand uh, Jonah's plight. Because there's part of me that kind of identifies with Jonah here. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh has a history with Jonah and his people. Uh, there are two terrible warlords back to back in the history of Assyria, both palaced in Nineveh, and it's in the time frame that Jonah was prophesying before Jonah, during Jonah, a little bit after Jonah. Um, Shalemancer the third, anybody heard of Shalmaneser the third? Okay, he's uh, named your first kid after him. Uh, hope not, because Shalmaneser III is really, really a bad person. He is known uh, for conquering. He's known for torture. And that torture looks like dismembering and decapitating enemies as depicted on stone relief walls that he had in his palace in Nineveh. So he did these atrocities, and then he made artistic impressions of them so that he could see them every day. In his in his palace, history suggests that they forced family and friends to watch the torture. Uh, Family and friends had to parade the decapitated heads of their loved ones elevated on poles. Those who survived endured the cruelest form of slavery, uh, the the worst kind. Assyria was a terrorist state in that particular uh, time frame. And it extracted heavy tri- tribute from Israel from 842 to 815, which is just before the time Jonah is prophesying. So, if you're a patriot like Jonah, do you want to go to Nineveh? No. You don't, and that's where he's coming from. Now, there's a second, a second uh, warlord that comes from Nineveh. His name is Sennacherib, and Sennacherib is raised up by God. You can read this in the biblical text, raised up by God to come against Israel. And he actually conquers uh, all 10 tribes of the north, and he, he sacks them completely in 722 B.C., which is just uh, just uh, near the time of Jonah's prophecy. He's an evil warlord with his own litany of awful things. But you get the picture, right? And so Jonah did not want to go. Um, And this was the nation that God was sending Jonah to as a missionary. I mean, sometimes God calls people to do unprecedented things for kingdom purposes. Has God ever asked you to do anything you didn't want to do for his purpose? This was a big one for Jonah. He did not want to do this. Now, here's the second observation that I'd make. Not only was it that God was giving Jonah a really unique prophetic assignment, he could have said, like, nobody's ever done this before. He could have said all kinds of, of things. You know, it was very unique. But the second is that Jonah despised the Ninevites, And hated that God would even care about him. So So I've heard this preached or taught before that Jonah must have been afraid because of Shalamancer or Sennacherib and all that comes with them. But I don't think it was fear. I think it was hate. And we need to sit in that tension. God, Jonah wanted God to burn the city alive, not offer them mercy. And Jonah, he he despises them. So he, instead of going to them and, and preaching, it says in verse three, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he's not only trying to escape the assignment, he's trying to escape the presence of the Lord to get away from God because he despises these people so, so much and here he, here's here's the why behind all this. Jonah is vehemently concerned that God will be merciful to the Ninevites who he hated that's what he's concerned about. But we see that come out in Jonah chapter four verses one to two. So this is scene two, toward the end of it, Jonah is like, um, uh, okay, I'll go. He goes to preach, but in verse one of chapter four, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee from Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I mean, Jonah is like, he outs himself. Didn't I say to you, you would be this merciful? This is why I didn't want to go preach to the Ninevites. I went the other direction to get out of your presence. I don't like your agenda. That's where Jonah is coming from. And this also highlights the mystery of the mercy of God. Now, there's a phrase in Jonah chapter four that is repeated all through the scripture. It says that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That phrase is repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 34, verse six, the covenant is renewed in mercy after Moses finds the people worshiping golden calves. Moses breaks the tag, comes down the mountain. God's given him the message, the word of God. He gets down. He's been gone a while. That's a big mountain. He climbed up. He's tired. He stayed up there. It's windy. It's awful up there. He came back down and the people led by his brother Aaron have fashioned for themselves a calf to worship instead of God. And Moses is so mad. He has to go back up the mountain. But it says about God and in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, that he was merciful to them, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Numbers chapter 14, verse 18 Joshua and Caleb go to spy out the land, the promised land that God has promised the people forever. And they've been wandering in the wilderness and now the spies go and they come back and most of the spies say that they got giants over there. We can't, we can't take them. But Joshua and Caleb are like, nope, we can take them because we have God. He promised, this is why it's called the promised land. He promised us this land, but people didn't follow Joshua and Caleb. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 more years, but it says in Numbers chapter 14 verse uh, for 40 years because of it, but Numbers chapter 14 verse 18, it says that God was merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love with his people. In Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17, We encounter an Israelite people who need mercy from God because they forgot God completely. They're a stiff-necked people, according to the text. They've appointed a terrible leader, according to the text. And yet it says that God showed them uh, mercy. He was slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Psalm 86, verse 15, Psalm 103, verse 8, and Psalm 145, verse 8 the psalmist writes that God is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. In Joel chapter 2, verse 13, Joel the prophet says, Return to the Lord, all of you that are far away from God, because he is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah knew this about God. Jonah knew that He is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He knew, if I go preach, Yahweh says, Repent. And the people repent. God will pour out his love on them in mercy. I don't want that. Of course, we have experienced the mysterious mercy of God in our own lives. We think about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, 4 to 9. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love. This is the steadfast love we've we've been talking about with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So then the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. I am personally grateful that in Christ, God has been to me merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For every one of you that walk, with Christ, who you know the Lord, who have been saved from the penalty of your sin and the wrath of God, He has poured out on you steadfast love in heaps of mercy <laughs> by the shed blood of His Son. And we have nothing to boast about except Christ and a merciful God. I'm evidence we serve a kind of god that will relent when people repent. And Jonah knew this, and he knew there was hope for the Ninevites and he didn't like it. <clears throat> Here's a third observation I'd make. There are, in fact, two ways to run from god. And Tim Keller in his book The Prodigal Prophet makes this observation, I think it's a great observation, and I think it applies to us. And we should look at it two ways to run from God. Obviously, Jonah, Jonah did two different things. The first way he ran from God was to get on a boat and reject God's agenda completely, reject God completely, try to escape God. He just went hard the other direction. So the first way to run from God is to reject God. Obviously reject God and try to control his agenda that way. I won't go to them and preach. You said go east. I'll go west. You said go by land. I'll take a boat. I won't go to them and preach. It's to reject God, obviously. Romans chapter one, it it gives a picture of what it's like when people reject God. Romans chapter one, verse 29, speaking to the church at Rome, uh, says that the people like like this, that rebel against God, that reject God, they know him, but they reject him. They run from him in this way. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they're gossips. It's like people do this all the time as they hear the agenda of God. They hear the call of God. They even read the words of God and they're like, Yeah, but I won't do that. You said go east, I'll go west. You said go by land, I'll take a boat. We do that. That's one way to run from God, to reject God obviously and try to control his agenda the second way to run from god to is is to religiously obey god and to try to control his agenda in the midst of that to religiously obey god and try to control his agenda in the midst of that this is what jonah does the second time so he gets spit up uh, you know he's you, you would tend to repent if you're in the belly of a fish he, he does. You realize, right, when life gets hard, it's easier to repent. He does. Spits up on the fish. This time he's going to religiously obey God. God calls him. He goes begrudgingly, but he still doesn't like the agenda. We see this. In our own lives as well. Sometimes we don't want to obviously reject God. You, you know, you said go east. I'm going west. You, you said go by land. I'm going to go by a boat. And it's, this is more like I'll go east. I'll go by land. I'll say what you want to say. But you better not. Relent on these people. You better not. It better just be a message of like, look how evil you are. I'm calling fire down from heaven. You're smoked. You better not relent. Let them relent. You better not let them repent. You better not be this merciful, loving God with Ninevites. And in this case, he religiously obeys God and tries to control his agenda. See the same thing in the story of the prodigal son, in fact. So you might know the story of the prodigal son. the the youngest son asks his father uh, for his inheritance early and he takes his inheritance and he goes to a distant land and he squanders that inheritance on everything that you could possibly squander an inheritance on. That's bad. And he finds himself, you know, working with pigs and then eating and eating from, from the pig pen and all those kinds of things. And he decides to himself, you know, I'm going to go home because it'd be better to be a servant in my father's house than, uh, whatever. So at, at the beginning, he just wanted to control the agenda and reject his father. Give me my inheritance. I'm going to go be what I want to be. You said, stay here and grow up and be part of the household of the father. I'm going to, I'm going to go to a distant land and do what I want to do. That's, that's illustration number one. But in, in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, you also have this older brother, the older brother, like religiously obeys God, He's, he's right. You know, he, he does what he's supposed to do. He stays with the father. He works in the father's household. When that prodigal little brother comes home, the older brother, I'm the older brother in my family. I can kind of identify with this guy. The older brother is like fired up. I've been responsible I've been here doing the work. It says that the younger son, he didn't become a servant. He was reinstated. Like he's given the family ring, shoes for his feet, a robe for his back, clean him up. Let's let's have a party. He's back. The older brother hates that. The older brother has religiously obeyed, but he's in his head. He's like, but you better not relent on this guy. Let him be his servant, but don't. Don't be a merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love God. Well, what we're going to see in the book of Jonah is that Jonah actually did both of these things. He ran from God two, two different ways. And here's what I'd like for us to think about as we close today. It's quite possible. For us to run from God by rebelling against God and just go in the other direction. People do that. People do that all the time. I've done that in my life before. But what becomes more normative in the context of a church when people begin to, to grow in their faith is when they don't like God's agenda, they actually choose the option two. I'll religiously obey. I'll go east, I'll take the land, I'll say what you want to say, but they try to control the agenda of God. But you better not do this or that or the other. And if we're going to be people that are focused on the king and the kingdom, then we have to yield to God's agenda. And we find ourselves in a place where we open our hands and we say to God, Have your way. Remember how Jesus taught the disciples how to pray? Our father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no ever like my will be done. (laughs) My kingdom come. I mean, can you imagine the geopolitical conversations Jonah was having with God? Don't you know how they extracted tribute from Israel all this time? We're Israel. We're your people. We're the chosen ones. Don't you know what they did to us? Why would you relent? Why would you show them mercy? I'm not going to preach to them. I hate them. Okay, I'll go preach still hate them. I'll go preach. Just make sure you smoke them when I'm done. Instead, they repent. The theme for our book that is hope-filled is that God is gracious. He's merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I'm so grateful for that in my life. That's the God that we carry into our domains, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, wherever our feet may take us. A God that is merciful, merciful. It's clear from the Old to the New Testament. He's merciful. Lots, his mercy is greater than we can imagine, I, I, I believe based on the context, if he's willing to send his son, his only son, the one that he loved to die on a cross, to save us from our sins, to pour out mercy on us, his mercy is greater. It's more astounding than we could ever imagine. That's what I want us to embrace today. Look, you may be running from God in one of two ways. Ask yourself, am I, has he asked you to do something unprecedented? For his kingdom's sake. Are you trying to escape that? You're trying to run from that. Don't, don't run. Don't try to control the agenda. Uh, simply just say your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God has poured out his great mercy on you. And the world that we live in. Needs the mercy of God. People need to know the mercy of God in Christ. Everybody's mad. So, of course, God must be so mad that he's going to, you know, smite everyone. Well, ask the Ninevites about it. He's a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Sometimes I ask myself the question, why? I've done it in the last two years. Why in the world, God, have you not yet sent your son Jesus back yet? There's a lot of evil in the world. If I'm in charge, I'm, pulling the, I'm hitting the button. Jesus is here, restoration of all things. Why, why not yet? Because he's merciful, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love. We just bow your head and close your eyes. Just ask the Lord to speak to you. Father, we thank you for your great mercy that you've poured out on us through your son, Jesus. We didn't deserve it. You've poured that out on us and it's my own life. You have had mercy upon mercy. I thank you for this historical narrative that we hold in our hand called the book of Jonah that tells us that you cared about a people that were ridden with evil. And you sent a prophet to preach the truth. And as they repented, you poured out your, your your mercy. But I thank you for that. I thank you that we hold this message in our hands, each one of us, called the good news of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you've called us to this time, to this place. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would not run from you. But instead, when you say preach, we would preach. When you say love, we would love and we would not try to control your agenda. We would just be faithful. I pray that you would pour out your mercy over the 4B area. On the people of this region, God, by your spirit and through the people of God in this region, that they would know that you're a good God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Have mercy on our nation, O God. Raise up people to preach the truth in our nation. And be merciful to us, oh God, we beg. Help us to repent. Father, I pray for... Moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers in Uvalde, Texas. Have mercy on them, oh God. Those kids that lived, that saw that carnage, have mercy on them, oh God. We thank you that you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love full of grace. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for giving yourself for us. Praise your holy name in Jesus' name. Amen.